Often the trappings that attach themselves to a thing can become big enough to eclipse the thing itself. So it is quite possible that you, like me, got caught up in the trappings of the Thanksgiving holiday. It's quite possible that you did the traveling. Many of us obviously are still traveling. Quite possible that you did the turkey, that you had the friends, that you went to visit the grandma, did the things that come with this, but forgot to take time for Thanksgiving. It's quite possible that you didn't, side, didn't set aside time or focus to be grateful. It's quite possible that you didn't have space and time. So that's why we did what we did during our songs and stories time this morning. So today, our lesson is a reminder about why we do this. Why do we stir up gratitude in our hearts? We're really going to talk about the biology of gratitude. Um, <clears throat> it's a difficult practice to do, this stirring up of gratitude. Well, it's actually not so difficult to do. Not so difficult to do, it's more difficult to remember to do. It's not actually difficult to do this inventory that we took this morning during our songs and stories time, but <clears throat> to write them down on a list it's not that challenging. It's difficult to remember to write them on a list. To carry them around in our minds for a while, it's not that difficult. Uh, thinking about those things, appreciating those things. The ancient scriptures enjoin us to stir gratitude up in our hearts. They tell us to put some effort into giving thanks, and they tell us to work that being grateful. The texts that we read this morning, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to cultivate thankfulness. We read those earlier. In all circumstances, good circumstances and bad, be thankful. So I ran across a study several years ago, conducted at uh, Southern Methodist University and at UC Davis. I've spoken to you about this before, but I think this is a good time of year to remind us of this, the importance of this discipline. The guy's name was Michael McCulloch. He was the one at uh, SMU, and then Robert Emmons was the guy at UC Davis. And this is what they did. First of all, they did a meta-study where they compiled all the studies that had been done on gratitude, and then they did a specific study of their own. And in their study, they broke the, their group their, uh, into three groups, two control groups and the group they were studying. The first was asked at the end of every day to write down a list of the things that hassled them. The second group was asked to write down a list of the things for which they were grateful. And the third was asked to write down just ordinary things that happened during the course of their day. And the result was that those who wrote down the things for which they were grateful began to have happier lives. They viewed their lives more positively at the end of the several months study, which that's not that surprising. But what was a little more surprising was that they had fewer headaches than the control groups. On average, they exercised one and a half hours more per week than the control groups. They had fewer colds and they had fewer illnesses during the course of that time. They ended up getting more sleep than the control group and they found that being grateful <clears throat> led to a higher quality of life. 
Other studies have reinforced this thing. If you were uh, watching Good Morning America this week or if you looked at their website, you saw the, the source of a very large series of studies that found that people who exercise intentional gratitude become more optimistic, more enthusiastic, more determined. They get more interested in their lives. They get more engaged in their relationships. They report an increase in joy. They find themselves being more compassionate, and they're much more likely to go out on a limb to help someone else than the control groups. They tend to take fewer aspirin. They tend to drink less alcohol. These grateful groups think more clearly, are more resilient in tough times, and they have deeper satisfaction in their family ties and deeper satisfaction in their religious experience. So, right over at Duke recently, there was uh, 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 an experience, uh, an uh, experiment, a series of studies on the exercise of intentional gratitude, disciplined gratitude, um, doing gratitude on purpose. And what they found is that there was a tremendous biological link between those who will uh, exercise gratitude and positive outcomes. So, for example, there was a positive impact on uh, serotonin and norepinephrine, which are mood neotransmitters. They help us increase, the, elevate the positive parts of our moods. Oxytocin, if you've been listening to the news lately, there's been a lot of studies come out about what oxytocin does. They call it the social hormone. It's that which allows us to make bonds with other people. That has a positive impact. Testosterone, which isn't just for males grunting. It is also for how we manage the whole endocrine system and how we manage what our bodies do with weight. Dopamine, which is a pleasure-related neurotransmitter. These things called cytokines, which help the inflammatory response in our body in a positive way and which strengthen our immune system. Uh, cortisol, which has to do with uh, how we sleep and how we handle stress. Uh, EEGs, blood pressure, blood sugar, each one of these things had an, a positive impact in the people who practiced disciplined gratitude, making a list of things for which they were thankful. So what's happening here in this biological output of our gratefulness? Well, I think what's happening is that these researchers are discovering in double-blind research what ancients have been tapping into for millennia. And that is that stirring up gratitude has this potential to move us into an abundance of life. Saints and sages from, bef from generations before have told us that gratitude helps us tap into the divine life helps us tap into the full life, gives us access to the abundant life. However, though it's not difficult to do, to make it a part of our life is a chore. It's a bit demanding to integrate this into our lives, so putting it into the regular rhythm of our days requires work on our parts. It's a hassle to put pen to paper, to write things down, it's work to create reminders on a weekly basis to live this way. It's demanding to create new neural habit paths in our minds. This is challenging, difficult work. Gratitude is not simply a warm, fuzzy sentiment. It's a morally demanding proposition. It's an intellectually demanding proposition. It requires discipline and contemplation and reflection, which can be hard work. 
But when we do this demanding work of stirring our minds to gratitude, we experience the blessings that come in our bodies, but we also put ourselves in a posture to be more connected to the indwelling Spirit of God. Our passions for life are awakened. Divine moments come, as they always do, and we are much more likely to grab them and grasp them and apprehend them. Failing, on the other hand, to stir up gratitude, the converse is true. We miss those opportunities. Several years ago, I did a year-long lesson called Dancing with the Divine. It's the ways in which we tap into the divine presence. And one of those sections that I did was on stirring up gratitude because it is one of the ways that we alert ourselves to the divine impulses, the experience of the interior love and the interior peace and the indwelling goodness, the nudgings and the promptings that come from the Spirit of God. We are much more tuned to those moments and are able to dance with them in a much uh, more capacitated way when we have exercised gratitude in our lives. It is one of the ways that we awaken our inner life to God. And so we trigger it. We trigger it with an annual celebration. We trigger it with a weekly reminder. We trigger, trigger it with a discipline of journaling at day's end. The examine of consciousness, the very first question is asked is, what did I experience this day for which I am grateful Gratitude tends to fade over time, so we need to build rhythms into our days that bring us back to it. We take for granted many of the blessings in life. We fail to see the goodness when it is right in front of us. When was the last time that you were thankful for a lung full of air? But anybody who's experienced COPD for any length of time realizes how precious and wonderful that is. But we tend to not see those things and they don't make it onto our gratitude screen. When we stir up gratitude, we reframe our perceptions of life. It allows us to sense the gentle spirit nudges when before we would have missed it. So I've told this story before around this subject, but I think it bears repeating I read of a college professor who invited his um, students to an annual gratitude night. Over the term, each student was uh, asked to write specifics of appreciation for one other person. And then if they were able, they were to invite that person to come to an evening in which they spent time taking turns, reading their points of gratitude to one another in a public forum. And every year, the professor said, His students rated that evening as the high point of the class, and many of them rated it as the high point of their college career. And what struck him as he was writing the report of this experience was how often a single word kept coming up in their critiques of the class, and that word was transcendent, how this was a transcendent moment. So that word transcendent means beyond limits. That word transcendent means of some kind of superior nature, of some kind of a supreme nature, but also the third dictionary definition says of the deity, that which is beyond the universe of time and space. So in this academic environment, which is not particularly given to uh, putting attention on the divine, gratitude took them beyond something of themselves, something of God, unnamed as such, but something of the divine. So this is a very important thing, this stirring up gratitude discipline. The ancients have been telling us to do it for, for thousands of years. We have a national holiday that recognizes the importance of stirring gratitude. However, we tend to not do it. 
There aren't a lot of cultural norms in place that bring us back to gratitude. So we have to invent them. We have to invent the norm, something like a simple list, examine of consciousness that asks ourselves at day's end. The journaled prayer, these are simple ways where we can heed the ancient admonitions to stir up gratitude to be of thankful heart. And when we do, many report that there is a sense of joy that's roused in their hearts. Happiness in life shoots up. Satisfaction in their lives shoots up. Psychologists suggest a mechanism by which this spiritual principle works. And the reason gratitude increases life satisfaction well, it's because it amplifies the memories about the past that are positive. It tends to take those memories of the good things and intensify them and give us more frequent cause to visit them. Our brains have a negativity bias. It's not your fault. It just is the way that we got here. It developed over generations and generations as a survival tool because those who saw the potential for a negative outcome prepared for that outcome and survived and passed their negative bias genes on to their babies who then reinforced it. And if you stayed alive, you had babies. And if you didn't stay alive, you didn't. So a negative bias actually comes to us genetically. So the net effect of it is, psychologists tell us in that article I was telling you about earlier from Good Morning America, that there is a negative-positive ratio of about three to one. We tend to have about three negative constructs for every one positive one. And this is because we had to run from saber-toothed tigers. But we don't have to run from saber-toothed tigers anymore. And so they aren't a real threat. And so this holdover actually does us a disservice. It takes work to stir our minds to see the new reality as reality is, where there is not danger around every corner. It takes work and energy to get our minds into the other place where we are not serving the reptilian survival parts of our brains because there is a great deal in life that does not threaten us. There is a great deal in life that is truly wonderful, and there is a great deal in life that is filled with pleasure and with reward. And it serves us to give our attention to those things and to give our focus to those things. It serves us to challenge our brains to counter that three-to-one ratio that our instincts would tend to push us toward. I think research is affirming the very practical wisdom that has been laid out for us in the scriptures. When we are grateful, positive thoughts flip through our consciousness of the good things about life with much greater frequency. These things we appreciate, the significant events that have shaped us, the people in our lives who care for us and have blessed us. The positive thoughts inspire us to happiness and they strengthen our brain chemistry and they strengthen our body chemistry and help us to be in a place where we are able to capture the divine presence, the divine wind when it is blowing. Well, there is a powerful marketing engine that I've talked to you about before that's going on in our society that is at odds with this simple spiritual strategy for increasing our happiness. And the message of our culture is that consumption is the cure for what ails you. Consume more, we are told, and then we'll be happy. Get some more stuff, 
and then we'll be happy. Get a better lifestyle, enhance our material world, and we will be better. So we've been at it double time. In the last 50 years in the United States, we've doubled our household income. We've doubled the ratio of cars to people. We have uh, doubled the frequency of eating out. Our entertainment options have at least quadrupled, but studies tell us that we are slightly less happy as Americans than we were 50 years ago. According to Martin Seligman, which uh, wrote the book Authentic Happiness, three out of four of the happiest people groups in the world are not wealthy at all. The richest Americans in Forbes magazine come in second on the scale of happiness, and they are tied in second place with the Pennsylvania Amish. Right behind them are the Maasai of Africa. No electricity, no running water, huts made out of dung. The happiest of all the people are the Inuits of Greenland. It's clear when it comes to human fulfillment that our society's instincts have betrayed us. Let me read to you a quote from a Catholic philosopher. His name is Joseph Piper. He says, Happiness is indeed to be had from things, but only things that are appreciated. The pursuit of more things to the point where we gain the whole world distracts one from contemplating or appreciating what one already has and therefore guarantees that one lacks happiness. Let me read that to you again. Happiness is indeed to be had from things, but only things that are appreciated. The pursuit of more things to the point where we gain the whole world distracts one from contemplating or appreciating what one already has and therefore guarantees that one lacks happiness. How many business people spend much time contemplating and appreciating their satisfied, loyal customers? That's just not the way that we do business. Business people's focus is singular. It's not on the current customers that we appreciate. It's on this idea, this concept we call market share. We're going after more. We're not savoring and appreciating what we have. We're planning on getting more. And this is the instinct that our culture tells us will make us happy. But in the face of this prevailing illusion in our society, to be grateful for what we have in the moment is actually an act of defiance. Gratitude rebels against the advertisements that tell you that you want more. Tell you that you should not appreciate what you already have Gratitude celebrates what we have in the face of a whole industry that is begrudging us what we do not have. Gratitude is exercising ourselves in contentedness and in so doing is directly challenging dissatisfaction. Contentment is, is a byproduct of gratitude and it brings us to deep fulfillment. Gratitude and contentment bond us to the purposes of God, the divine life. There's a woman who came to Jesus with what was probably her life savings wrapped up in a bottle of rare perfume, and she pours it on his feet, and she washes his feet in gratitude. Where does that kind of passion come from? Where does that kind of gratitude come from? Where does that kind of appreciation come from? How is it that someone can be stirred to that kind 
of gratitude. Because it comes from a deep place. It comes from a mysterious place. It comes from the same place that falling in love comes from. We don't know where falling in love comes from. It just is down there inside of us. Where does that kind of gratitude come from? Well, it comes from being overwhelmed with appreciation. It comes from being overwhelmed with kindness and with tenderness. And in her case, being overwhelmed with how much she appreciated forgiveness. But we experience those kinds of overwhelming things all the time. But when we have numbed ourselves, we don't experience the kind of passionate explosion that she demonstrated pouring out her life's savings in appreciation. But you experience those kinds of things all the time. You have some kind of a breakthrough and some kind of a freedom from a stuck place that you had in your life. But there are, it isn't always the gratitude and appreciation to accompany that. You will find a truth, and that truth will set you free. But that freedom doesn't translate into this expression of gratitude. You find yourself weary, and then you are afforded rest. But that rest doesn't translate into this overwhelming passion for appreciation. You are blind, but then you see Something that you were stuck in that you couldn't understand, you now understand. And as you move into that place, you have this new sight. But then it doesn't translate into gratitude. And that's because we numb ourselves in that three to one ratio and gratitude becomes unhabituated. It becomes not part of our lives. Human habituation being what it is, human forgetfulness being what it is, the kind of gratitude that will express itself in this way must be trained into us. So, we have been told by those who have gone before us to set rituals into our days, to set rituals into our lives, to set rituals into our years, into our months, into our weeks, and into our days that stir us up to act on gratitude. So we need those rituals to stoke this which would die without it. We need those practices to stoke this heart of gratitude. Rituals and practices make it easy, us, easy for us to be alert to the mindset of gratitude when it is appropriate. Matthew Henry was a guy who wrote a biblical commentary about 150, 200 years ago. And on the topic of gratitude, he told the story of having been accosted by thieves and having been relieved of all his money. And this is what he wrote. Well, I have been robbed. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because they took my money, but they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't all that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now, <clears throat> most people don't think when they have been robbed, this is the time to exercise gratitude. <laughs> no. 
And yet here it is, having practiced this ritual on a regular basis, is able to take that which would wound and hurt and put us into a place of despair and fear and confusion, was able instead to bring up this posture of gratitude because of the disciplined practice during the days. So, this is why I invited you to make a list. This is why I invited you to write these things down. And my hope is that you will take these, this little piece of paper that you have written on during our songs and stories time, a time where you were awakening yourself to the rhythm of the divine, channeling your mind toward thankfulness and toward contentedness and toward appreciation, and that it will help you to have some practices built into your days. My hope is that you take this home as a reminder to build ritual into your life. Perhaps it would be a good reminder for you, if there was someone on that list that you appreciate, to write that person a letter of thankfulness, to tell that person how thankful you are for what they have done in your life, to thank them for the investment they have made in you. Perhaps that list can serve as a reminder for you to go back to the prayer of examine, that at day's end you would answer those four questions in journal form each day. What, what happened this day for which I can be grateful? Where was the Spirit of God present today and I was a, participated? Where was the Spirit of God present today and I did not participate? And then the fourth, the request to do better tomorrow. Perhaps you could go back to creating a list on a weekly basis. Perhaps you could take this list and have a conversation about the things on it with a spiritual friend. By the way, if you don't have a network of spiritual friends yet, that's okay. In January, we'll be talking about life story groups. That's how you're going to find one. So I want to encourage you to use this list today as a stimulus to build rituals of gratitude into your days. Stir yourself up to live an appreciative life chore, task. So I pray that it would be so among us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to this spiritual pathway of gratitude. That it would be so this week, but it would be so that we would build this into the rhythm of our lives, into the rhythm of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.